Hello again and welcome to our podcast, Conversations in Noosa. I've always said our podcast because these are our stories, it's not my story. These are your stories and stories that are relatable and relevant to people all over the world, not just people that live and work in Noosa. Providing care and support for a loved one with a terminal illness is not something that most of us think about often until the need arises. The circle of life means we'll all have to consider the options at some stage, and if the cold, clinical, institutional operation of a nursing home leaves you despondent, it's comforting to know that there's a place like Katie Rose Cottage. There's a line in this podcast that you're about to hear with Katie Rose Cottage Chair Carol Ray that really struck me. There is such a thing as a beautiful death. I hope you enjoy listening to our chat. Your official title is you're the chair. I am the chair or the chairperson or the chairwoman or I don't mind. Yeah. Um, but um, I'm jokingly and happily called the chair in the organisation. And uh, I became involved from being a volunteer in a previous charity in a hospice. Um, and my interest in that was uh, through the loss of my mother um, from cancer. And when I retired up here in Noosa, which was my lifelong dream and my husband's dream um, to retire up here. I felt I needed to do something. And uh, so I joined a hospice and did some voluntary work for that organisation. Very sad when it um, closed down in 2015 and uh, became involved with the group of other volunteers that worked there we decided to just start another hospice. Yeah. Let's rewind a minute because you said you, you first got involved with, with hospice because of an, an illness that your mum had. You lost her very – you were very young when she passed away or – I was, yes. I was only 24 right. and my mother was only 50. And well, relatively young because that's, yeah. Yeah, it's still young very, to, to a lose very, a parent, isn't it? It is a very yeah. – no matter what time you lose a parent, yeah. it's very difficult. But for me, it was looking forward to – Um, I had my first child, he was only six weeks old when mum was diagnosed and so we were looking forward to doing mum and daughter things together and it just seemed like it was far too young for me to lose her and for her not to see her grandchildren grow up and she was taken from us in a very short space of time, only 14 months from where to go. So I guess there's something inside me that feels I need to keep being involved. What kind of care did she require? Uh, at that stage so my dad and I looked after her and right up till the day before she went into hospital and um, was strong in my mind the experience of her being in a hospital environment and not in a hospice environment yeah and hospitals are fantastic I don't criticize them in any way they're there to keep us alive and to help us to get better Um, but this is back in 1980 so in a palliative care wasn't high on their agenda so yeah it was sad to see her just put in a room and the curtains closed and they said you know say your goodbyes and there wasn't anything happening around her that i felt was supportive yeah well it still happens today my mum passed away only a couple of years ago from motor neurone disease which we'd never heard of really a lot or 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 or, uh you know read a lot about no and it was uh, i mean she was in um and it was quick too yes but she was in a nursing home which was pretty yeah pretty institutionalized is the word i use for those sorts of places and and so when i see the hospice that we have now and certainly also when i first came up here and volunteered in the hospice in a home environment in in what i knew was a cottage style hospice where it was different to a hospital yeah and the environment was different to a hospital it's warmer 
yeah. connections. It's connected. It's yeah. um, it's welcoming. It has family around you. You know, the dog can come and be with you, and you know, family can share that very very special time because you don't ever get it back. Yeah. And what kind of numbers? How many people take advantage of? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go through the history of Caddy Rose Cottage in a moment. But how many? Like how many would you cater for at any one time? Well, at the moment in our new ho- in our hospice, we mm. have three ensuited bedrooms. Um, it's a five bedroom home, but we need to work to raise money to convert another room into the fourth bedroom. We are licensed for six, and as where we are, yeah. Um, but I don't see it getting any bigger than six because then it would lose its its home environment, which is why it's very special. Yeah, tell me about funding, and well, let's see, let's go through the 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 history of Caddy Rose Cottage itself. At the moment, you're in a, in a new location. I remember I was working for the ABC. Uh, maybe five, six years ago, uh, it was on Yamadi uh, Nusa Road. I always remember the sign. I used to drive past the sign every day. Now, that was that ended up closing after how many years because of a, a lack of funding or the funding was cut? Um, I can't tell you exactly the details behind other than I knew it ran out of money and yeah. they had to shut. I was just a volunteer then and I wasn't incredibly involved or in, in, closely involved in the organisation. Um, but the original Katie Rose Cottage started around in Redwood Road which is about 12, 14 years ago now, and by two ladies who are absolutely gorgeous, Sue Story and Terry Clark Burrows. It was named Katie Rose after Terry's daughter, who very sadly was born sleeping. Um, after many attempts with IVF, Terry was um, yeah. uh, not, in her words, maybe not meant to be a mother, and it was a sign, and she was a palliative care nurse, and her friend Sue was also a palliative care nurse. And so... They went and started the very first Katie Rose Cottage. It over a, several years evolved. It got a new board. They changed the name to Sunshine Hospice, and Sue and Terry had left by then. Yeah, left the organisation, and um, it was Sunshine Hospice that was operating Katie Rose Cottage, um, that shut closed due to lack of um, funding. Okay, and that's the one that was then on Yamandinusa Road. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And tell me about the people that, that, that work. I guess they're all volunteers like yourself. Uh, is there any medical support for, yeah, certainly, for people? Um, so I guess what I can say is we, as a group of volunteers, just a small group of us, four of us actually, yeah. when I went and met Sue Story. I hadn't met her before this, um, who was one of the ladies that started the first one and had a long talk to her about the model and the way it was operating and and. I was just convinced that we needed to start another one and stick to that model. And then I knew it could work if it stayed a cottage hospice um, and not a private hospital licensed building. Yeah. It, it needed to stay what it was. Um, and so we were graciously given the name Katie Rose Cottage um, because Sunshine Hospice were operating a different name then. Um, and Terry, who now lives in England, uh, supports us tremendously. And um, we have a beautiful photo of her daughter hanging in the house. So the four of us got together and we literally, in a nutshell, we started a new company. We applied for a charity licence. We opened a f- our first op shop in Tewanton, a second in Karoi within six months. And the aim of that was to raise money to try yeah. and get a new hospice going. So we had a plan that was about three years long that we planned to do this. And um, remarkably, and out of the blue came this beautiful couple from Noosa who came to meet with myself. And um, as chair, we had four members on the board and one 
CEO, who at this point was not paid, um, and they offered to buy us a property to help us to get established. Um, we had long, long discussions with them and, and uh, Peter and, and Marilyn, his wife, um, were really keen to see us stay secure. They knew one of the problems we had was raising money to operate and they felt if we had a property where we weren't paying rent, yep. that was going to be a huge benefit and we'd have a safe kind of forever home. Yeah, yeah. And so over lots, more of, security. lots of cups of coffee and discussions and... Um, I finally said to Peter, well, we, we, if we could have some money for a, a deposit, this would be fantastic and the board would maybe be able to get some money to borrow, go and look for a small property. How much are you talking about? And he said, no, I, I, want, to put, I want you to have a good property. I'm, I'm going to put a million dollars on the table. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, we were stunned and um, very, very grateful. Peter and, and Mac, it's Marilyn's nickname, Peter and Mac are with us all the way. Um, they're very involved in keeping in touch with us and knowing what we're doing, of course. Um, and through their beautiful beneficiary, we're the beneficiary of their beautiful um, donation, we were able to buy the house in Beddington Road, Yeah, which is literally a million-dollar property. Well, I was going to say, you get a good one for a million bucks. It, was, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is like a resort. It's a beautiful home. Well, Needed a lot of work that yeah. we had to do. Yeah. Well, that's great. So that that, that offers some security in terms Absolutely. of a roof and something you know that that you know you've got yeah. long term. Operationally, what does it cost uh, on a, say, a monthly or a yearly basis to operate? So annually, we're looking at just under one point two, one point wow. one to one point two to operate. Um, we have two hundred and seventy volunteers in the organisation now, and that's across the op shops. Yeah gardening team the maintenance team the volunteers in the hospice the little fundraising team as well um, and our staff the ceo yeah and our nurses our registered nurses are definitely paid obviously right. because that has to be the case sure. we we are now i'm so proud to say this year we achieved accreditation um and so we have a registered nurse on every shift we're open 24 7 so that's three eight hour shifts a day yeah and they're supported by personal carers, trained volunteers that uh, look after the people that come to us for their special time. Is it a challenge to come up with that opera operational cost every year or do you find uh, people are very generous today? This community of NUSA astounds me. It is the most generous I've ever come across in, in my lifetime. That's good. Um, I'm amazed. But, but I know what I hear all the time from the community is that they want a hospice in their community for when and if they need it. And so they put their hand in their pocket as soon as they know it's Katie Rose, something for Katie yeah. Rose. So obviously the community supports our op shops. That's all donated goods and our op shops bring in a considerable amount of money a year. We now have four. We have one in Maroochydore and one in Nooseville. Mm. And we have fundraising and donations. And now we're very pleased to say that the state government has put their, uh, an offer on the table. We have just signed an agreement for a three-year service agreement with yeah. the Queensland Health. That's not enough to cover the salaries of yeah. the nurses, which is our biggest expense, but it's, it's, it helps. Yeah. It's a foundation for us to work on. So we have a gap that we need to go to the community for every year, hence the fundraising and the donations. And Carol, I imagine you would have a, a really long list of people that, that would want to um, go to Caddy Rose Cottage and, and look for care? Because I know just thinking about my mum and how long it took to get into nursing, the nursing home and then 
there was the tyranny of distance with us. She was up in Bundaberg. So mm -hmm. um, you must have a, a – did you have a long waiting list for at, people? At that, times that, that, we do have a waiting list. Um, yeah. It is always almost hard to um, judge. Yeah. Um, sometimes there may be no one there for a day or two and then there'll be two or three and sometimes one or two. Um, I can say, for example, in the last week we've had five people come through the hospice. Um, so we support them, we support their families as well. Yeah. It can be incredibly busy, it can be incredibly sad, and then there can be incredible laughter at the same time. And we, mm. we have recently had um, a young man whose mother was passing away with us in her last days and he got married out on the back deck overlooking the garden, brought his wedding forward to enable mum to be part of it. Mm. So there are special moments, there are moments when there's not old pe not always old people, young people. Aren't yeah, I was going to I was going to ask you about that. Our youngest is thirty five. Yeah, and what what kind of state of care uh, would someone like that require? So the hospice has a criteria that we um, follow. The nursing team look after all admissions, and they can come from referrals from doctors, or just from the families themselves, or from the local hospice services that we work quite well yeah. with. Um, and I. Criteria is generally in the last four weeks. So it would be end of life. Oh, of their life, so yeah. So palliative care can last for quite some time. Yeah, yeah, I End understand. of life is when there's nothing more they can do. So they're not on any further uh, assistance or medication. Yep, and usually have ceased all medicate or all um, yeah, yeah. support. Yeah. Certainly medications are still managed for pain management and we keep them comfortable. Um, yeah. I've often said to people when I'm talking about the hospice, you know, we can't change the journey that our guests are on. We call them guests, not patients, because mm. they're guests in our home. But we can do something to help them through it and to help their families. Mm. Um, you know, that time is, is very special, but it, it doesn't have to be horrible. It can, there no, is such thing as a beautiful death. Yeah, yeah. And it must be, like, extremely rewarding for you and for the other volunteers that work there as well to yeah. know that you've made... A difference in someone's life. It's very special to know you've done that. Even yeah. a, a little small thing like make someone a cup of tea when they need it or um, I often say a touch of the hand or an, you know, a warm hug to somebody or a family member or just to sit and talk to them yeah. and help them through this incredibly difficult time. It's very rewarding and yeah, it's something yeah. that we're very conscious of that all our staff and volunteers, uh, we support them through that process as well. With lots of counselling. Yeah, just thinking um, to the experience I had with my mum, who was three or four hours away from where I live, um, the the people that you get through Katie Rose Cottage, would they not have family around? Are that, would they be people that whose who's, uh, children or relatives or siblings are far away? Or is it like, I guess the question is, how do they end up there? Like, would they, they're, they're not at home with their family? Of, or? Often it's simply that it becomes... Just too difficult, too difficult to, to for manage. them to manage, yeah. and in especially in those last days, um, they're really often exhausted as well. I, I have seen some families come through, and you see the relief on the husband or the wife and the brothers and sisters, their relatives, just knowing that someone else is there yeah. to take care of the nursing part, and they can just relax and be mum, dad, husband, wife again, just for those last days. Um, and their relief is palpable. It's actually quite lovely to see that and to see that they go, you can see them relax. Yeah. And um, and we're supporting them as well with our counselling team. So they feel they're getting some support through through this journey too. So it is, it's extremely rewarding. As hard as it is, 
Um, it's a charity that does a tremendous job for the community because we don't charge our people, I guess. There's no charge to come through. We, uh, that's why we raise money to offer the service. Yeah. We are a service wow. charity. Can I talk a little bit about your background? You're a bit of a, a, a journey woman or you've been around. Um, uh, well, that sounds a bit exciting, yeah. Born in the UK, Manchester, you said. Born in Manchester, yes. Um, Dad was in the military. Dad was in the British Army, so um, I grew up on army bases um, early part of my life. In what South- are your memories of that, growing up on, and always uh, travelling and moving from place to place? It was interesting. I made lots of friends, but I, I often – I look at my husband now who has friends – from when he went to kindergarten that he's known for 60, 70 years. And I go, hmm, well, all my friends are back in the UK or I've lost touch with them because yeah. of the moving. Um, but I certainly – and I don't have trouble making friends. I've got lots of friends. I've been here in Australia since 1963 as a young girl. My parents left the army and moved out to Australia and immigrated. Yeah. And so I grew up on a dairy farm in South Australia. <laughs> but prior to that, you said – was it Africa? What's yes, Africa? North Africa. North Africa. We were in wow. Benghazi, in a British army base in Benghazi. Yeah. And then um, over to Germany, to a British army base there. So not terribly good – many memories because I was quite young. Yeah, and, right. Yeah. Because I was going to say well, – I can see photographs of, of things that were taken back then and I laugh at them because I don't actually remember being there. But Yeah. Yeah. Siblings? Uh, two sisters. Yes. Tra- travel with you? Yeah, yeah, we all went around the three little sergeants' girls. <laughs> yeah. And what, what made the family decide? Was South Australia on Australia? from from, Because, you know, for Australians, all the places you mentioned seem so exotic and uh, <laughs> far away to then go, well, I think we'll, we'll, we'll go to South Australia. <laughs> yeah. I, look, I don't, obviously, being so young, um, I can confess, I think I was nine when we came here in yeah. 1963 just given my age away but that's okay um i don't really know why my sisters joke a lot of brits were probably coming to australia yeah, I think, about I think that time they were that there were lots immigrating and, yeah. and and my sisters always joke that my father bought a, a dairy farm from a catalogue um oh he became the your dad became the dairy farmer yeah dad was yeah, the well. dairy farmer so I, I, maybe that's what it, his, it would have been his, a change of pace he retired from the army and decided he he would been a, a brought up on a dairy farm in England in Wales I believe All right. and so he maybe wanted to go back to that and yeah. uh, um, loved our time on the dairy farm but uh, then of course you know school and high school and boys and yeah yeah my life changed how did you end up in Noosa I think you've probably heard this from lots of people but holidayed in Noosa for 20 years almost every year uh, mainly because my in-laws were here in Malulabar and so my husband and I would come up and visit them and we'd always... So he's a Sunshine Coaster, is he? No, he's an Adelaide boy too. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah. but his parents moved to Malibu. Yeah, his, his dad retired to up here. He was a... His father's life was fantastic. He was one of the founding pilots of TAA. Your husband's father? Yeah, my father-in-law. Wow. And when he retired from TAA... He was seniority number one in captain's order, so he was a fascinating gentleman and I used to love listening to all of his stories. He sadly passed away a few couple of years ago at 98. Wow. Um, but brilliant. But, yes, he and lots of his pilot friends all retired up here onto the coast, the Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast, and um, so we would visit them every year. My husband is also a pilot, um, retired pilot, and... Uh, while we were up here, we used to sneak a few days in Noosa to ourselves after visiting the in-laws. And, yeah. 
And we always used to say every year, one day we might retire here. This is just heaven. <laughs> who'd your, um, so who'd, we did. Who'd your, what's your husband's name? My husband's name's John. Uh, who did John fly for? Uh, oh, he flew for himself, I guess. If um, He had a company in Adelaide called... Like private charters. And yeah, private like, yeah. charters and regular public transport. He used to fly the Kangaroo Island yeah. um, every day. Had that business for 14 years. And that's how I met him. I was working in the tourism industry and... Mm, at the time. Is there anything I haven't asked you about Katie Rose Cottage funding or that's really important to you that you want to talk about? I think what's really important is for the community to understand that the the hospice service is here because they took ownership of it and uh, and they continue to do that and they continue to support us and without that it won't survive. It needs to have that constantly. It always will need the support in terms of supporting the ho- the shop, the op shops, and that's a huge part of our funding. I, I often talk about the poor, the four pillars of funding. You know, the state government is great, and we hope we can improve on that agreement over time. Um, we are going to try federal as well and see if we can get some funding from federal to help us so that there's that always that constant because we have nurses' wages to pay for. Then we have our op shops, which support, does a fair bit of the, of the carry of the business. And then there's the fundraising donations, Christmas appeals, the Katie Rose Walk down, we do annually now. Um, all the jobs that we can do to get the community to keep supporting us and buying lottery tickets and helping out at fundraising events. Services in the community, Lions Clubs, Rotary Clubs, Bowls Clubs, RSLs are fantastic. They're all part of the fabric of this community and they all appreciate that maybe one day they might need or their family member might need that hospice and so they want it to stay in the community and it's a really important part of the social fabric here. It's critical. Well, um, I mean, the ageing... that's a, such a huge mm. sector, isn't it? If you if you're working or volunteering in in aged care, as the you know we're all living in an aging population, that's going to, going to be critical in the yeah. very near future, if not today. Absolutely, and, and our 270 volunteers is not a that's small a lot. thing either. That's, do you do the rosters for that? I know, but I love Jane. If she listens to this, she's in our office as a volunteer who does all that. She's brilliant. Uh, but there's a gardening team. You know, twenty-seven. I think in the gardening team, we've got three acres of ground. Yeah, yeah. And well, the story in the the summer issue is all about the about garden. the gardening yeah. team. You know, they've they've become friends. You know, it's part of their volunteering has helped them in their journey of retirement yeah. too. A lot of them are retired. They make friends. Uh, they love coming. You know, they also have taken ownership of the property and what they've done to it's been amazing. But the girls that work in the op shops. You know, it, I think we support them by giving them something to do and they love what they're doing. All right. Yeah. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming in and That's telling a, a little bit about your story and, and more importantly about um, Cuddy Rose Cottage. Thank you for having me. Caddy Rose Cottage Chair Carol Ray was my guest today in Conversations in Noosa. I hope you enjoyed that chat. And if you think it's relevant for someone else in your life, they might get something out of it, you think it might connect with someone else in your life, feel free to tell them about our podcast series, Conversations in Noosa, and share the pod about on your social media platforms. Until next time, take care.